Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's me, Damien Barr, still very slightly croaky after COVID and still excited to welcome you back to our podcast. It's another Salon exclusive, oh yes. And this week it's one of my favourite people and one of my favourite writers. It is the million copy best-selling author and all-round lovely person, Joanna Cannon. Now, she wrote The Trouble With Goats and Sheep, and three things about Elsie, both of which have been hugely successful. This is her third novel, uh, which I'm sure is gonna make it a hat trick of success. The novel is called A Tidy Ending, and it opens with one of those starts that makes you think you're going one place and takes you to another. And talk about an unreliable narrator, more on that in a minute. It's set in a quiet suburb with Linda and Terry. Very, very suburban names. Linda and Terry in a quiet suburb, leading a seemingly normal life. But there's something nasty lurking behind the net curtains on Cavendish Avenue. I can't stop it slipping into the cold comfort farm there. There's something nasty lurking, terrible in my accent. There's something nasty behind the net curtains on Cavendish Avenue. The dazzling Marion Keys, whose book Rachel again we launched earlier this year, has said of this novel, it's never less than intriguing and had me holding my breath. So here is the delightful Joanna Cannon reading a passage. Deep breaths, let's begin. Hello, I'm Joanna Cannon. And I'm delighted to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, A Tidy Ending. This is the story of Linda, an ordinary middle-aged housewife living on a very ordinary estate with Terry, a husband she no longer cares for, if she ever did, who begins to realise that the existence she has isn't the existence she always imagined for herself. And so she sets out on a journey to reclaim the life she believes she deserves. Even when a number of young women start to go missing and Terry begins to act strangely, Linda isn't deterred from her quest. This is a story of the darker side of suburbia. A cautionary tale that the grass isn't always greener. Be careful what you wish for. And just how well do you really know your neighbours? It was written during the pandemic. A time of self-reflection and reassessment for us all. A time when we had an opportunity to discover what really matters to us. And a time when we perhaps looked at our neighbours a little more closely. This reading is from the beginning of the book and sets the scene for Linda's unquiet mind. When people are asked to describe me, they'll probably say I keep myself to myself. It's a silly way of putting it, really, because it makes it sound as though you've got something to hide. And I don't think there's anything about me that's interesting enough to be hidden. Not like some. You know what people are like, though. And newspapers always make something out of nothing. Even keeping yourself to yourself. It's what you get for not following the crowd, I suppose. For not joining in. 
even if people are pressed a bit harder, they will still find it difficult to dredge up a little anecdote, to pull some distant memory from the back of their minds to single me out. The reporters will want a picture, but they'll struggle to find one. No, people will say, Linda isn't in any of those. She was never very big on parties. Or no, I don't think Linda was there that day. Then someone will have a brainwave and dig out an old school photograph from the loft. One that's faded and curled where time has eaten into us all. And they'll climb down from the stepladder and cough and brush dust from their clothes and they'll say, there she is, look, I found her. She's the one at the back. And they'll have to point to make it clear. No, no, that one. The one you can't see very well. That would be me. Linda. The one looking down when everyone else is staring straight ahead. The girl you can't quite remember. The one who kept herself to herself. Except people forget that keeping yourself to yourself isn't always a decision you make on your own. I wonder how Terry would describe me. He'd probably say she's Welsh or she's five foot nine because Terry doesn't really deal in anything other than facts. He'd have our wedding photograph to show people, of course, although I'd really rather no one else saw that. Even when I dust, I don't look at it. I've never liked pictures of myself and I dislike that one more than any of them. It lives on the mantelpiece with a carriage clock and a pair of candlesticks that will never find themselves being introduced to any candles. There it waits, trapped in a silver frame, watching me live my life and pointing out all my mistakes. When I do catch sight of myself stood next to Terry with flowers stuck in my hair. I always think I look surprised, as though I stumbled into the day by accident and didn't realise I was expected to be the bride. I only put it out because the mother would have something to say if it wasn't on show. I'm not really sure how mother would describe me. All I know is you'd have to find yourself a seat because she'd definitely take her time over it. Newspapers will always sniff around, asking their questions, wanting answers and photographs and rummaging around in everyone else's business. It started even now. All those people who walked at the edges of my life over the years have begun to reappear. All those passers-by and all those silent voices have suddenly found something they want to say. Everyone is trying very hard to work out who they think I am, which is odd, because they were never very interested in who I was before any of this happened. I suppose they want to make sense of it all, and they'll struggle, because no one has all the pieces of the story, except for me. It won't stop them, though. Poor Linda, they'll say. She always was soft in the head. 
Oh, poor Linda. I often thought she was a little bit strange. Because we like to cast the heroes and the villains quite early on in a story. And then everyone knows where they are. Mother's already had reporters yelling through a letterbox. Give us a quote about your Linda, Mrs Sykes, they shout. We'll make it worth your while. She doesn't, of course. Because as much as Mother enjoys drama, she has always thought of it as more of a spectator sport. The journalists have kept at it, though. Very persistent they are, standing outside the house all hours of the day and night, ringing the doorbell, climbing garden walls and knocking on windows. I told her to put some music on really loud and sing along with it so she can't hear them. That's what I've always done when I wanted something to go away, ever since I was a child. I don't know how I would have got through some days without my songs to drown out the world. Terry says I'm forever misunderstanding the lyrics. But he doesn't realise that there are always two ways to interpret everything in life. All you need to do is pick the version that suits you better. In the end, Mother stuffed up the letterbox with a pair of old socks. Now all they get when they shout at her is a mouthful of Marks and Spencer. There are no letterbox to shout through here, of course. No garden wall to stand on and no doorbell to ring. All the tiny details, all the quiet, unnoticed edges of the world have been taken away. And it's only when they're gone you realise how much you depended on them to make sense of everything else. There are newspapers lying around. But every time I pick one up it has holes in the pages where articles have been removed. Things that might distress people or make them feel uncomfortable. Although one person's distress is another person's couldn't care less so I don't know how they decide which bits to take out. It would be nice, I said to a woman sitting next to me in the day room, if life was like that. If you could just cut out around the pieces you didn't care for. She didn't reply. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's as though you haven't spoken at all. As if your world and their world are running quite happily side by side but there isn't any way of moving between one and the other. At least it means there's no sign of it here. No one knows who I am, because any mention of what happened has been deleted. It's all been cut away, leaving nice clean margins. I have been disappeared. The only problem is you try to carry on reading away from the gap where a story has once been. But of course, the other side of the page is missing too. So that doesn't make any sense either. You can't take a pair of scissors to one thing and leave the rest undamaged. It's impossible.
Now, with all the talk of cutting out upsetting details, Linda might not be the most reliable of narrators. I certainly would not trust her with a pair of scissors. When you read this book, see if you can spot the ending coming. I didn't. Maybe it's just me. I never, I never guess endings. I just try so hard not to do it um, and just be under the spell of the book. Anyway, that was Joanna Cannon reading exclusively for the Literary Salon from her new novel, A Tidy Ending. It's published by Borough Press, which is an imprint of HarperCollins, and it is available now in all good bookshops. And as ever, please go and love your indie. Or join up to your local library again. If you haven't done that, your library is for you. It is your resource. So this episode is perfect for anybody who loves a mystery, so please share it with your mystery-loving friends, your Scooby-Doo clue solvers, and see if they can guess the ending. And a copy of the book is up for grabs very soon in our newsletter, so be sure to subscribe for a chance to win. I hope you enjoyed that reading. It's been really lovely to spend time with you, so thank you for listening.